Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. At Silverdale Baptist Church, we exist to lead people into an authentic relationship with Christ so they will worship God, grow in their faith, and then serve the Lord in our community and around the world. The way we really connect or grow with God is by spending time getting to know Him through His Word, the Bible, and prayer. God created us with a desire for Him to walk and grow with Him daily and encourage others to do the same. Worship, grow, serve. This is us. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, so good to see you over here today. I'm Tony Walliser. I am one of the pastors here at Silverdale. Um, you've chosen a great day to be here as we are learning about what our church is about. What, what, it, what, what is our church? What are the core values of our church? And this is what I want to do. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. You can also take out your smartphone, open that app to John chapter 6. And then do this as well. Take out this um, Bible study outline, and you can follow along and take notes. I encourage you to take notes as God speaks to your heart today. We are in this series called This Is Us, and what we're doing is we're looking at the three core values that we have as a church. Worship, grow, and serve. This is us. I mean, as we as a church, we're not a perfect church, right? I mean, there is no perfect church. We're we're broken people. We live in a broken world, but we worship a perfect, awesome, faithful God. And so what we're learning is we're learning how do you follow him? Well, the first step is worship, right? And we learned last week that every act of obedience is an act of worship. And so no matter, you know, we just saw the baptisms, and we're going to have 25 baptisms this weekend. The, the, The fact is, is that every one of those baptisms is an act of worship, okay? So we learned to worship last week, but today I want to talk about growing. How do you grow in your faith? You see, God wants you to be constantly spiritually growing. He wants to grow you up. He wants your faith to become more and more real to you. And as you grow individually as a Christian, then guess what? We as a church grow corporately. That's how God works. And we get in on a simple principle of growth, which I would call the principle of multiplication. That's what I want to talk about today, is how God grows us through this principle of multiplication. That's what God's doing in our church I mean, think about it. I mean, God has been multiplying new believers coming to faith in our church. We have over 6,000 members in our church now. And that's God's doing an incredible thing. God's been multiplying our campuses. We now have nine weekend worship services. God multiplies our church in small groups, and we need many, many more small groups. God is all about this multiplication principle, and whenever you get in on it, that's whenever you spiritually, by faith, begin to grow. You go, how does that work? Well, Jesus put it this way. I love this passage. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said this. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I don't know about you. I want to get in on that thing that Satan can absolutely not stop, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how does that happen? Well, two simple truths. First principle is this, is that, you know what? You got your limitations, right? I mean, think about it. You're limited. 
I'm limited. We are limited people. I got my limitations. A man's got to know his limitations. I know my limitations. There's only certain things. I mean, you know what? My life is limited. I'm going to only live so long. My patience is limited. Some of you have tested it, all right? I mean, you know, the, the fact is, is that, you know, I got a limit of how long I can go without food or without something to drink. I got a limit of how long I can drive a golf ball. I got my limitations of how long I can run and how far I can run. I got my limitations, right? I got a limitation of um, how long I can preach. Some of you doubt that, but it's really true. I've got my limitations. But here's the amazing thing. We worship an unlimited God. Every one of us here, you got your limitations, I got my limitations, but we worship a limitless God. He is all-powerful. There's nothing he can't do. He is unlimited in power. And so what does God do? God takes our limitations and his unlimited power, and God brings them together, and he does an incredible growth work in our lives. And you said, well, what is that like? Well, you know, over and over again, the Bible says that God's able, God's able, God's able. In fact, listen to just a few passages that promise that God is able to do these things. Philippians 3.21 says this, He, Christ, is able to subdue all things to himself. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Romans 14.4 says, God is able to make you stand. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And our God is able to make all grace abound to you. Romans 16, 25 says, God is able to establish you. Folks, God is able. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, God's able. God's able. Right? Our God's able. Okay, so here's the point. You got your limitations. We worship a God who is able, who has no limits. And so here's the overriding principle of today's message. Put it down on the top of your outline. Here's the premise. Jot this down. God is able to take our limitations and use them in an unlimited way. God is able to take our limitations and use them in an unlimited way. God's able to take these times whenever we're limited in our life and whenever we learn to release those things to the Lord, God's able to use us in an unlimited way. Now, we're going to learn this from this passage in John chapter 6. Fourth book in the New Testament, John chapter 6. We're going to look today a very familiar story. It's the story of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, what's significant about this miracle is other than the resurrection, this is the only miracle of Jesus Christ that is in all four of the Gospels. It's like Jesus Christ, this is the very first all-you-can-eat buffet, and Jesus provides it. It's found right here in John chapter 6, verse 1. Look at what God's Word says. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Now look down at verse 5. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? Verse 6, he asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them just to have a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down, and the men numbered about 5,000. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full... 
he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. Now, that's an incredible miracle. But what is that? That is a miracle of God's multiplication. God takes something that is limited, and then he uses it in an unlimited way. Well, how does that work in our lives? Well, I want you to jot down three simple principles that you can immediately apply to your life where you can grow by these principles and where we can grow as a church as well. Number one is this. First principle is this. Jot this down. No problem is too big for our God to handle. No problem is too big for our God to handle. Now, they were facing a you know, pretty rough problem here. It was late. They were isolated. He had all these people there, and they didn't have any food. And so Jesus asked Philip a question in verse 5. Look at it. Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. I mean, Jesus wasn't really asking Philip for advice. He knew exactly what he was going to do. This was always a test. And can I tell you, God will do the very same thing with you. God will allow a problem to come into your life where you will suddenly hit the wall and you'll hit the end of your limitation. And you're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I can't handle this. And God says, that's right. You have this problem. You've hit your limit. Now it's time for you to trust in me. Our problems become a test. And so what kind of problem were they facing that day? Well, there are two problems. Number one is this. First of all, they had a problem, which was a lack of food. They had lack of food. I mean, think about it. It says they had 5,000 men. Well, you add on top of that women and children, there was at least 10,000 people there, maybe 15,000 people there following Jesus. They're all tired, they're all hungry, and they needed something to eat. And so Jesus says, okay, we need to feed them something. And so Philip comes back with his calculation. Check it out in verse 7. It says this, Philip answered him, Lord, 200 denarii, again, a denarii is a day's wage, worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them, just have a little. In essence, he's saying, Lord, $40,000 wouldn't be enough to pay for everybody. Just have a little bite, right? Now, I want you to think about your life right now. I want to think about what's lacking in your life. Where, where, where do you have a um, shortage that maybe, you know what, you've come to an end of your limit? Maybe it is financially. Maybe it is a lack of confidence and faith. Maybe it's a lack of peace or a lack of joy or a lack of purpose in life. Maybe, you know, you've hit the wall and you're done. I got no more love for my spouse. Or you know what? I've hit my wall. I've got no love for my kids. I got no love for my neighbor. Or, or maybe you've hit the wall and you go, it's like I've got no power in my life. I got no power in my life to overcome sin anymore. I don't know what it may be, but I'm telling you this, God will allow you to hit the wall. Why? So that you come to an end of yourself and you realize I'm not able, but I worship a God who is able. And so the first problem was, yeah, lack of food, but there was a second problem in this story, and it's this, jot this down. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. This is the real problem, and this is often the real problem that you and I face. And so the disciples here, they're overwhelmed with this problem but trying to feed all these people, and so they start responding in their feelings rather than out of faith. Years ago, I invited an, a um, godly pastor here to speak. His name was Peter Lord. Those of you that were here were just blessed by him, incredible godly man. He's 90 years old, still preaching the gospel, incredible man. But I remember Peter Lord saying once, he said, whenever we have problems, we're going to respond in one of three ways. There are some people that are the feelers. They always respond in their feelings, their emotions. Okay, well, what do I feel like I need to do? 
And then there's others that he called the figurers. These are the calculators. These are the guys that try to figure it out. How can I handle this on my own? And then he says, but what you actually need are the faithers, <laughs> those individuals that will respond in faith. Did you know that all three of these are found in this story? Whenever you see you know, this story in the Gospel of Mark, it's real interesting that Jesus actually tells, I mean, the disciples tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, send them away. Send them to the towns to buy their own food. This ain't our problem. This is their problem. They should figure this out on their own, right? A lot of people respond that way with their feelings, right? In this story in John 9, I mean, John 6, we find out that Philip, Philip was the second group. He was the figure. He must have been the CPA of the group, Right? I mean, Jesus basically said, okay, what are we, how are we going to take care of this? And he pulls out his calculator, and he's like, okay, let's see. Well, all right, uh, you got 5,000 men plus women and children. That's at least 13,000 people. Okay, if everybody gets a Happy Meal, buy it on bulk, $3 a person, $40,000. Jesus, $40,000. We ain't got that kind of money. I mean, figures don't lie, Jesus, right? I mean, you know, some of us are figures. And whenever it comes to just about anything, the first question we ask is, What's it going to cost, right? Can I just be honest with you? That's me. <laughs> I am cheap, and, um, and I'm a figurer. You know, I've been in ministry for almost 30 years now and been in thousands of meetings where we talk about the work of the Lord, and oftentimes my first question is, how much is it going to cost? But through the years, God has taught me that cannot be my first question. My first question has always got to be, what does God want? What does God want? Because the bottom line is this. Where God guides, God provides. And there are those times whenever God guides us into things that we're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this on my own. You're right. That means you're going to have to depend on Almighty God to make this happen. And that's what I love about our church. So many of you are faithers. You are people that operate in faith. I mean, our church has done such remarkable things through the years. I mean, we've done several multi-million dollar projects. We're about to begin some more. I mean, for me, I'm like, how is this all going to work out? God's got it where God guides, he provides. He always has. It's amazing. I mean, you think about the many ministries of our church. We decided as a church, we're going to adopt an unreached people group on the other side of the planet in China, the Basoto people who had never heard about Jesus Christ. And now they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Our God is able to take our limits and do the unlimited. Our God is able. That's what he's able to do. I mean, mean, every time we start a service, we think, oh, it's no big deal. We start another service. It's like planning another church. And we got nine weekend services, and we're going to start another one within the year. And that's God working. And that's what I love. I know I'm not able, but my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we even ask or think. But we got to operate in faith. We've got to say, I can't, but you can, God. I'm going to trust you in this situation. Sort of reminds me of this story, a humorous story of this lady. She was in a retirement center, and, you know, she was a widow. And there was a new gentleman that comes to the retirement center, and, and um, she notices one day that he was sitting by himself. And so she comes up to him and says, can, can I join you? And, she, and he said, sure. And so they have a delightful meal together, and she just looks at him and she says, I can't help but keep staring at you. You remind me so much of my third husband. <laughs> and he says, well, how many times have you been married? And she smiles back and goes, twice. <laughs> <laughs> See, she's operating in faith, right? <laughs> 
Well, that's what we're called to do. Why? Because the fact is, is that, look, there's going to be times that it's going to seem impossible, but no problem is bigger than our God, right? Nothing's too big for our God. But there's a second principle we learn from this passage, and it's this. Jot this down. No person is too small for God to use. No person is too small for God to use. We have here Andrew bringing this boy, literally in the Greek, a young child. Look at it, verse 9. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many? I mean, Andrew's got the right idea. He's going to bring this boy to Jesus, but then he makes a confession of doubt. He's only got five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they to so many, right? And we don't know exactly how Andrew found this boy. We know in the other Gospels that Jesus sent the disciples into the crowd looking for food. Obviously, he didn't just grab the food from the boy and bring it to Jesus. The boy voluntarily gave it. And he brings this boy and brings this food to Jesus. Obviously, there's some loving mother who had packed a lunch for a boy. And, he's, he, and she goes, okay, go listen to Jesus. And, and he was there with those five loaves and two fish. Now, now, whenever we think of five loaves and two fish, I don't want you to think five big loaves of bread like we find in the store. These are five barley loaves. These are just little tiny pieces of bread, okay? Five barley loaves and two fish. These aren't two big catfish, two big tilapia. These are small little fish, okay? Today, we may call this the miracle of the muffins and the minnows, okay? The, the whole point is this, is that this is a small meal, Small boy, small meal, big God, right? That's the way this is. This is what this is all about. And that's what God does over and over again. I've never met somebody too small that God can't use. But can I tell you this? I've met plenty of people too big for God to use. Individuals that are too full of themselves and they, they think that, you know what? God ought to be, you know, I'm just doing God a favor showing up. And the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what I love in the Bible is over and over again, God uses small things to do incredible things. In the Old Testament, you got a teenage boy named David that God uses to bring a giant down. Or in the New Testament, you got a teenage girl named Mary out of Nazareth that God uses her to bring the Messiah to the world. And then God takes that little innocent, helpless baby in a manger, and God uses that baby to be what? Become the savior of all of humanity. God always uses little things to do incredible things through. And see, I hear people go, well, God could never use me. I mean, you know, all the mess ups, all the things in my life, God could never use me. That is a lie. God can use you. God can use you right now. God wants to use you. In fact, if you're here, and you know what, you, you serve, and you serve in maybe the children's ministry or the student ministry, I just want to thank you. I know it's hard. Keep it up. Keep being faithful. Do you know why? Because you may, in your classroom, you may be discipling a world changer. God uses little things. Don't forget that. But you know what? I know a lot of you, you're, maybe you're in a small group, maybe you're not, but I believe God wants to use you. I mean, as I mentioned, as our church has grown, what we realize, we've got to add a whole lot more small groups. We need at least 30 small groups. We can start them tomorrow, and they'd fill up. And so what does that mean? We need small group leaders. If God has put in your heart at all, just wonder, what would it be like to be a small group leader? This is what I encourage you to do. You can see this up on the screen and on the bottom of your outline as well. You can just go to sbcsmallgroups.com. Just go there. There's a little link there. You can click it. I want more information about being a small group leader, you know? 
I'm interested in leading a small group. And what's going to happen is somebody from our adult ministry team, they're going to contact you. And, and they're just going to have this information luncheon. It doesn't mean you're signing up to be a small group leader. But what it does mean is, hey, I'm getting some more information. What does that look like? What are the possibilities? What's the commitment level? We need more small group leaders. And so I encourage you, please pray about it. And please just go to that website and say, hey, and then you can go to luncheon and figure out more stuff. Why? Because God wants to use you. That's why. So again, there's no problem too big for our God to handle. And there's no person too small for God to use. But then it leads to this third principle, and it's this. Jot this down. God multiplies what we release into his hands. God multiplies what we release into his hands. We see that Jesus performed this miracle of multiplication. How? Well, I love the way that the Gospel of Mark writes that story. Look at it in your, on the screen. Mark chapter 4, verse 41 says this. He, that's Jesus, took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples and set um, before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, in that simple passage, you have these four principles. Jesus takes, Jesus blesses, Jesus breaks, Jesus multiplies. What you're going to discover is that is the pattern how God works in our lives. And I want us to look at each one of those four. It's taken right out of that passage. Number one is this. Jot this down. First of all, first step is this. Jesus takes what we give him. Jesus takes what we give him, right? Now, what I love about this story is that this boy has voluntarily given his lunch to Jesus Christ. I mean, he didn't negotiate with Jesus, He didn't say, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. I'll give you one fish, I'll keep one fish. I'll give you three loaves, I keep two loaves. He didn't do that. He says, here it is, Jesus, all of it. And that's the way our lives have got to be. We've got to say, okay, Jesus, here it is, all of it. Now, that's rare. Do you know why? Because we're self-centered. And we want it all for ourselves. I can remember when I was in elementary school, my mom, she packed me a lunch. I had a little Scooby-Doo lunchbox. And, um, and so one day I opened up my Scooby-Doo lunchbox, and there in my lunch was two chocolate chip cookies. Now, that was a rarity in my home. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, ooh, I can't let my friends see this because they're going to want me to share. And whenever I had the opportunity, I quickly shoved them in my mouth, right? Because it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Well, that's the way a lot of us are. We're selfish with our lives. It's mine. I don't want to serve in the church that's my day. It's my day of relaxation. You know, I, I can't give. I can't want to use my talent. This is mine. This is my ability. This is my time. This is mine, 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 mine. That's what we do. And whenever we live that way, guess what? You miss out on the unlimited power of Almighty God. You've you got to come to that place of saying, it's not mine. And in fact, look at how the Apostle Paul puts this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says this. You're not your own. Huh. You've been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Can I just rock your world? You don't own a thing. It's all God's. Everything that you have, every blessing you have is from the hand of Almighty God. And what does God allow you to do? He allows you to manage it for him for a short period of time. But ultimately, we've got to learn to say, okay, God, it's all yours. I'm giving it back to you. A couple of Saturdays back, we had in our church what's known as Baby D. It's a parent-child dedication. 
And so what we had is we had a room full of all these parents with their newborn babies, and they're all excited, and the grandparents are there. It's always a beautiful service. But during that parent-child dedication, what I do is I have the parents pray and release back to the Lord the child that he's blessed them with. Now, you know what? That's a, that's a big deal. You go, why in the world would you ever do that? I'll tell you why. Because as long as you've got control of something or someone in your life, they're limited by your power. But as soon as you release and surrender whatever it may be in your life to Almighty God, it is no longer limited. See, that's what God does. God takes what we give him. But then the second principle, jot this down. Jesus blesses what he takes. Jesus not only takes what we give him, but then Jesus blesses what he takes. In the passage of Mark, it says that Jesus blessed the food. You can see this over and over again in the scriptures, where whenever God asks for us to release something to him, God says, okay, I'm now going to bless that thing in your life. I think the greatest story of that is found in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus chapter 3. You've got this dialogue between God and Moses at the burning bush. And, you know, Moses is reluctant to surrendering his life to God and following God. And God says to Moses, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he goes, a shepherd's staff. And God says, Moses, throw it down. All right? I mean, it's just a simple stick. And yet in that dialogue with God, something happened whenever Moses released that to the Lord because whenever Moses picked it back up, it was no longer, from that day forward in the Bible, it was no longer called the staff of Moses. It was called the staff of God. And did you know that all the miracles that God worked through Moses' life was through the staff of God? The plagues that came on Egypt, that was the staff of God. The parting of the Red Sea, that was the staff of God. Whenever they were in the desert and God says, hit the rock, it was with the staff of God. Everything Moses did was through a stick. A stick that had been released to Almighty God. What stick you got in your hand? Watch God work through it. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He said this, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hand, I still possess. I mean, I think of my own life. I mean, you know my story. I mean, I was a screw up. An alcoholic, man, blowing my life. I was going nowhere good for a long time. And then I came to that place of brokenness. And I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And I look back now at my life and I'm going, it's the favor of God. I mean, I'm blessed. I'm blessed in my life, my marriage, my children, my family. I'm blessed in incredible ministry and health in every area of my life. You're looking at a blessed man, but it has absolutely nothing to do with me. I know who I am. I'm a limited man. I'm a, I'm a hog farmer from Wymama, Florida. That's who I am. But whenever this stick lays down before Almighty God, God can do supernatural things through us. That's the way it is. It's not me. It's, it's you. God does that in you. And so what is, what, what is going on here? Well, Jesus takes what you give him, and he blesses what he takes. But then Jesus does the third thing. Jot this down. Jesus breaks what he blesses. Jesus breaks what he blesses. Now, this is the one thing we don't like. We don't like the breaking. And yet the fact is, folks, is if there's no breaking, there's no multiplication. Now, in our culture today, we're so materialistic that once something is broken, we go, it doesn't, it's not worth anything. It's not valuable anymore. It's broken. 
And sometimes that's what we do. We look at lives as well and we go, oh, they're broken, they're broken, they're broken, they're broken, they're not valuable. Listen, in God's economy, brokenness increases the value. God is all about taking broken things and using it. You see that repeated over and over again in the scriptures. You remember Mary? And she has that alabaster jar. And what had to happen? It had to be broken before the perfume could be laid out and the fragrance all over Jesus. Do you remember Jesus in the house? That roof had to be broken apart before the four friends could bring down the paralyzed man for Jesus to heal him. Jesus Christ, his, his body had to be broken so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. God always works through brokenness. I think of King David in the Old Testament. He sins against God, rebels against God. He has an affair with Bathsheba, and then God breaks him. And he, he pins Psalm 51. Look at what he writes. Psalm 51, verse 17 says this. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. See, God values brokenness in our lives. God will resist the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. I mean, as your pastor, I've been praying that God will send a real revival in our church. I mean, what we've experienced so far, folks, that's just the mercy drops of God. I believe God wants to send a real Holy Spirit, God-changing move that lives are transformed, marriages are restored, families are reconciled, that lives are changed, communities are changed, and it only happens if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. It starts with brokenness. It starts with us. God will break us. If we want the blessings of God, it means there's some brokenness that's involved in that. God breaks what he blesses. But he has to do that in order for us to experience the fourth thing. And it's this. Jot this down. Jesus multiplies what he breaks. Right? Think about it. Jesus takes what we give him. Jesus blesses what he takes. Jesus breaks what he blesses, and then Jesus multiplies what he breaks. That's what the gospel says. Look at it in Mark chapter 6, verse 41. He blessed and broke the loaves and kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. And everyone ate and was satisfied. I love what John says. Everybody ate and was completely full. (laughs) I mean, this was like going and going and corral. We're all leaving stuffed, right? And then what happens? Verse 43, they pick up 12 basketful of pieces of bread and fish. What is that all about? Well, Jesus is the savior of the surplus. Jesus is the provider of the plenty. Jesus provides this small meal of, you know what, five little loaves and two little fish, and he feeds over 5,000 people, thousands of people. Now think about it. What if the boy had not done that? What if the boy said, no, this is mine. This is my meal. Then guess what? All that boy would have experienced that day is addition, his limitations. Five plus two equals seven, one meal for a little boy. But because he released it into the hands of Almighty God, you know what happened? Thousands of people were fed to the fill, and then the boy himself was fed to the fill as well, right? Right? I mean, he experienced the miracle as well. That's what God is. God is a God of multiplication. With Jesus, when we release things into his hands, it's not five plus two equals seven. No, it's five plus two equals 10, 15, 20,000 people are fed with a remainder of 12 baskets full. I love God's math, don't you? I mean, you go, why 12 baskets? 
Because remember, this whole story starts off with a test. The disciples, they have their doubts. They had gone out into the crowd. Anybody got any food? Anybody got any food? And now they're going back in the crowd, and they're picking up all the food. And they're leaving with a basket full of food. And they're going, Jesus is able. Jesus, you can trust him. He will provide. And can I tell you, so can you. That's what I love about our church, is that so many of you are people that believe God. I mean, in the last 12 months, you've heard dozens of stories and testimonies of our church members, individuals that were broken, individuals that were hurt, individuals that had struggled. And you know what? They took their limits, their brokenness, and they lay them in the hands of a limitless God, and God does incredible things. There's been healings. There's been marriages restored. There's been families reconciled. There's been salvation. I mean, all because we hit our limitations and we then go to a God who is limitless. Let me remind you here today, because I don't know where you're lacking. I don't know where you may have hit the wall, but I do know this. No problem in your life right now is too big for our God. And no one of you is too small for God to use. But you've got to be willing to surrender your life into the hands of Jesus Christ. You've heard me give this illustration before. It all depends on whose hands it's in, right? I mean, I've got a golf ball here. And in my hands, this ball will be lost by the third hole. But you take this golf ball and you put it into the hands of somebody like Tiger Woods, he wins another Masters Championship right? It all depends on whose hands it's in. Or, you know, got a um, disc here, a program disc. In my hands, you know what? It's probably a coaster for my coffee. But in the hands of somebody like Bill Gates, he creates Microsoft. See, it all depends on whose hands it's in. A um, slingshot in my hand, well, that's just a children's toy. But in the slingshot of David, the giant falls. Why? Because it all depends on whose hands it's in. A nail in my hand, I can maybe build a birdhouse. But in the hands of Jesus Christ, he becomes the savior of the world. It all depends on whose hands it's in. As long as you try to keep control of your life, then guess what? You are limited by your control. But whenever you will come to that place of absolute surrender and say, Jesus, it's all in your hands, guess what? Watch out. You're about to join the God of multiplication. And when you experience that encounter with God and God moves in your life in ways that you can't imagine, you're going to grow. Your faith is going to grow and you're going to go, now I get it. But you've got to release your life into the hands of Jesus Christ, whatever you may be going through right now. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. 
And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.